Smartcast. You're listening to a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hello and welcome to the HD Branch podcast. The weekly companion to your printed copy of HD Branch where I, your host Karishma Kunzang from Team Branch, give you a behind the scenes of what you'll be reading on Sunday. There'll be interviews with the biggest Bollywood celebrities talking about things that matter to them. You'll also get to know a little more about the columns by Veer Sangvi and Seema Goswami from the columnists themselves. Why should you listen to it? Well, it's one of India's top Sunday magazines. It has the best editors, columnists and opinion leaders bringing you what's happening around town. Listen on for an additional dose of brunch. This series is available on hdsmartcast.com, India's fastest growing podcast producing platform. Hey guys, how's it going? It's an important weekend. Father's Day and World Music Day. And when it comes to my dad, I doubt he appreciates my taste in music. He may have given up during my punk rock days and I don't blame him for that. It's been uh, difficult being away from home for such a long period and my father and I may not always see eye to eye, but I really wish I was back home whipping up some dessert for his sweet tooth. HD branch cover stars and musicians Ayan Ali and his twin sons Abir and Zohan are going to be spending the weekend together. Listen on as Ayan talks about being a father, mental health and his sons in a chat with Shruti Nair of Team HD branch. Hi Ayan, happy Father's Day and welcome to the HD branch podcast. I'm so glad we could uh, do this with you. I mean uh, because obviously it's been uh, more of you and your father and your brother. And I'm right. glad that we can get your sons now into this. And... Well, I mean, like, you know, it's been a kind of an organic uh, journey. Yeah. And uh, sometimes it does get overwhelming because, you know, for me, father figure was or is always my father. Yeah. And actually it took me some time to even... Um, you know, be okay with the kids. You know, when they were babies, it's different. When they were growing up, and they started calling me Abba. Uh, yeah. I was like, wow, you know, <laughs> dude, I'm not Abba. <laughs> you know, so obviously, I, I, it, it was a little um, kind of uh, uh, overwhelming, but I guess I got used to it. <laughs> and uh, I'm just trying to, uh, you know, be a good father. <laughs> I'm sure you're doing a good job. I mean, it's a very hands-on process, right? You just love I don't think any parent is a trained parent. Exactly. Let's just start there. Yeah. A parent is not trained. And, you know, every um, every family's equation, uh, you know, be it father-son, be it mother-son, be it father-daughter, mother-daughter, whatever, any equation, it's all um, different uh, for every individual. Absolutely. So, like, my father's equation with his father was so different. It was more of a formal relationship. Right. Because there was such a vast age difference to start with. My father was a very late child. Right. And, uh, you know, and obviously the moment he was born, it was, I mean, you know, it was not just the musical responsibility, but in my father's case, it was also, you know, many other responsibilities, which even had a financial quotient to it as well. I mean, so I was very fortunate, obviously, that, you know, I mean, life was different when my brother and I were born to my father. And, uh, but having said that, I would like to be more of a friend to them. 
And uh, I think the equation they have with me, it's, I mean, obviously there is a respect element, which I'm happy about, but I think beyond that, um, I would want just to be a good friend to them and be their go-to person uh, for for anything, you know. So, So that's what it is. How do you see yourself placing yourself in three different roles, you know? I mean, as a guru, as a father, and then as a... Uh, friend, because nowadays right. most fathers want to be their uh, most fathers, most parents want to be their kids' friends. So how do you yeah, see sure. straddling through those three roles and uh, making yourself fit? I mean, you know, I don't see it as a struggle. It's pretty um, effortless, and it it is quite organic right. because the switch um, the switch is not uh, an effort. I mean, if I'm just with them through the day and when we say, okay, let's go play, they know that um, they have to be a certain way when they're learning. Right. They know that. Yeah. It's not that I've inculcated that to them, that this is how you have to be there. This is how you have to be here. You see, kids are so observant. I mean, these kids, I think they grew up with so much music around them and there's so, so much. Uh, the good thing is that, you know, before the lockdown happened, uh, one thing which they were uh, very good at was, they were good listeners. Right. So they would be okay. Uh, I mean, uh, Nima would get them to concerts all over. Be, I mean, they've attended concerts, you know, all over India. Uh, when we were performing in Mumbai or in Cal or in Delhi, all of that. Right. So they've seen the ethos of different cities as well, you know, because Maharashtra is very different to Bengal yeah. Yeah. and to Delhi. And, you know, so they, they were very good listeners. And I think they've observed not just um, uh, performances, but also... You know, the whole uh, vibe vibe that comes around it. I mean, obviously for them, they're very fortunate to have my father who, you know, is um, regarded and received a certain way. So for them, they feel it's very, they feel that's how it is. You know, (laughs) it's difficult to, uh, they would not know things otherwise. And likewise, I mean, God has been so kind uh, to my brother and me at our, you know, at our live events. That so much love and affection and blessings come our way. So they've seen that. And for them, I think it's always been a source of excitement to be up on stage, to play with us. And obviously, you know, it's been, they're nudged, you know, sometimes by the grandfather, sometimes by the uncle, or when he's going to be playing together on stage, when we're playing together, then we're going to travel, then we're going to do this, then we're going to do that. So obviously for them, it's a lot of excitement along with being on stage. But my job comes in, we have to say that, you know, Along with all these, um, you know, perks, you have to, you really have to work hard. You both have to work very hard and, and all of that. But again, I'll say that at this point of time, because music is the greatest wealth we have as a family. And it's literally a way of life for us. It's not just a profession for us. It's a way of life. So for me, it was only very um, natural to share this with them. I'm literally sharing this with them. Eventually, what they want to do in life is really... Um, a journey they'll have to inculcate it'll depend on what they want to be what makes them happy end of the day I'm a believer of do whatever makes you happy I mean don't uh, because you know in my in my brother in my case although we are two years apart obviously my parents gave me the choice but I do feel that um, standards and uh, things were quite set in the sense that even you know people would tell us when we were like their age, Zohan Abir's age, that, oh, we have to hear you guys on stage. We heard your grandfather, your father, we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting, all that. Mm-hmm. And then when we did start playing, you know, we were, by God's grace, received with so much love and affection, not because 
we were, I mean, I was no Mozart, but having said that, you see, India, there's a very long relationship and association the audience develops with an artist. And literally, they, they become a part of your musical journey. Yeah. Uh, not only in India, all around the world. I think for any artist, if a listener has been following, say, your father's work, what you do becomes a very uh, kind of, um, it's a journey that listener takes, yeah. you know, and it's, it's a beautiful relationship. And uh, so that's what happened in our case. Before I knew it, I was already performing, I was already touring. So my story was different. Now, in this, in their case, um, I would be more than happy for them to do whatever they want to do. Right. But I do see them responding very well uh, to music. Uh, I must say that, you know, before the lockdown happened, because, I mean, I was on the road pretty much through the year. Right. So I was just bribing them that time and I would, you know, come back from concerts with, you know, with, with gifts or whatever, all of that. They were literally strumming. Because, and you know, there were times when I would tell Nima that, you know, I'm worried because I said they are about to touch eight. And, you know, when I was eight, I was playing or whatever, yeah. whatever, you know. Yeah. But, you know, I realized that these kids are, I mean, it's more challenging for them. You know, we grew up with that one channel. Right. You, you know, we had cartoons coming on TV for what, half an hour a week. And which we used to record <laughs> on something called a video cassette. Yeah. Uh, you know, I need to introduce the video cassette right now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and we would keep watching that through the week and that was bliss. So what I'm getting to that here they have, I mean, though we keep them away from gizmos, but look look what happened. I mean, gizmos came to the rescue of education. Yeah. You know, once, uh, you know, the world shut down. So my point is, they had their tablets. They There was so much going on. So to expect them to just... Uh, you know, focus um, was maybe expecting too much. But then when the lockdowns happened and then because, I mean, I, I was literally home with all cancelled projects and concerts yeah. invariably postponed. I was literally able to sit with them for almost three hours a day. Oh, wow. Okay. Two hours a day, constantly, day after day. And it was very challenging for me because it was not something I saw myself doing. I mean... I always thought that, you know, okay, my father's going to teach them and, you know, I'll take them when they're good to go. <laughs> you know, it's only today when I look back, yeah. especially with, with so much awareness of mental health, this and that and all of that. When I look back today, yes, maybe I had a lot of anxiety. I definitely did because uh, I didn't know what it was. I thought it was just the pressure of playing. Uh, but uh, because what had happened that when I started doing my solo concerts and, you know, I mean, because of... Uh, who I was. I mean, uh, it was a lot of pressure because my brother uh, was already had done, you know, he was kind of, you see, we started off as soloists. Yeah. We did not realize that we are going to be performing more as a duo. I mean, that was not something we planned. Yeah. So it, things just happened. We ended up doing, back in the day, we did the Sari Gama, which was before the television boom happened, yeah. before reality TV kicked in. I mean, I was only 19 years old. Right. So we did that, we co-authored a few books together, then a lot of our experimental recordings were together. But uh, when we started off our careers uh, musically, it was it was different. So when I played, I mean, by then, obviously, my brother was a performing artist as well. And then, uh, you know, for me to, you know, be on stage and, you know, there were concerts where, you know, the greatest of musicians were coming in attendance and 
also playing with me. You know, like all my my first big solo concerts in Bombay, Kolkata, were all with uh, you know with Ustad Zakir Hussain and things like that. So it was quite a big deal back then. So uh, yeah, I was anxious today when I look back, and I would I would not, uh, and maybe I was unable to communicate that because we did not. I think that was just a turning point of what we were getting to uh, know about, you know, what anxiety is or stuff like that is. So I did have to deal with a lot of that. Um, maybe when I was quite early in my life, in my, from 17 to 20, maybe. And then obviously, the thing is that I kind of um, sorted myself out in my own uh, in my own way. But uh, then I think it made me a stronger person to know how to deal with those kind of moments, you know. So, yeah, I don't know how I moved here. But, uh, but uh, again, times were very different at that time. So for them today, um, there will be so many more uh, windows of um, kind of communicating their art, communicating what they want to do. I think there are just so many more uh, aspects of um, what they can do because there's so many more windows of projecting uh, craft and your work and and it's it's more seamless now yeah, uh, yeah you know earlier a lot of people would complain that oh we didn't get the opportunity uh, you know that was a major complaint in most fields it still is but today you can just post you can post your work from even if you're sitting in Hawaii or even if you're sitting in you know in wherever you know in in the Kullu Manali wherever yeah. you can post your work and uh, you know if people if it works out for you then great but at least you have the uh, you have the means to uh, post your work and be out there absolutely i think accessibility has changed a lot yeah it's changed it's changed a lot so i think yes i was under a lot of pressure i feel like these kids i mean i'm sure they're under pressure too i wouldn't be aware of it because yeah. i'm not the outsider here but I would definitely be conscious about what they are doing musically because I know that, you know, there's so much happening around and everyone is doing a great job. So I definitely feel that um, they need to be passionate about what they do, be yeah. it music or whatever else. Right. But uh, see, beyond a point, you know, we, we have to leave it to the universe. Uh, as a father, I can only uh, do things to a certain point. Beyond that, they have to take it from there. That's it. That, and that's exactly what my parents did. Uh, and both the kids have a very different nature as well. Right. Uh, it's interesting to see twins, how they communicate, how they look out for each other. They're so sensitive to each other. But then um, I usually teach both of them together, but then off late, I've started teaching them individually as well. Uh, my father always teaches them individually, but he loves having more time with them, you see. So I, I tell them I can't keep doing the same thing again and again, two times over. So, so with me, just come together when I say when, when the other abba comes and you can play separately. Or whatever. So they're very blessed, like I said, to have so much music around them. Yeah. Uh, you know, from the time they were born, you know, I mean, the moment, you know, my father held them, uh, you know, he was singing to their ears. In fact, when they were, when even in the delivery room, you know, <laughs> the Nima's doctor was like, why don't you sing something? And I was so awkward with all these doctors <laughs> around. They literally made me hum. And they were, you know, they were doing their thing. They were like, oh, this is so wonderful. I wish we could hear this in every delivery. <laughs> and here Nima was screaming. It was quite a movie.
Also, uh, what's been your favorite memory with your sons and also with your father? Like two memories. Or, or a collective one, even better. My father came over once to my house. I was practicing. I was practicing in my in my music room and uh, my door was a little open and my father came to meet my kids. Yeah. And I, was, I think I was practicing something really difficult or whatever. So both of them came running. This was when they were much younger. Maybe they were five years old. They came running and both of them gave me a kiss. I said, what happened? They said, no, no, Dada but told us to kiss you because you're playing very well. Oh. So I think that was an amazing moment. <laughs> that he was happy listening to what I was doing and he sent the kids to go and give me a hug or whatever. Great. I think I think that was something uh, which was extremely uh, uh, beautiful and it was uh, it was priceless actually. Beautiful. Yeah, because my father is not someone who would communicate to me on my face that, oh, you know, you're very good or whatever. He would, I mean, of course, he, he would encourage you or say, ki mashallah or whatever after the concert. But, um, but this kind of a thing, this was special. Yeah. Thank you. Also, please convey my regards to Neema. Okay. Thank you so thank you much. Bye. Bye, guys. Take care. Bye. Okay, bye, guys. Bye. Bartenders are often ignored in the boozy days. Or they become your best friend as you spill your guts out to them over tequila shots. Or does that only happen in movies? <laughs> anyway, I've always paid attention to the cocktails being made and some of my favorite drinking holes in Delhi include uh, Sidecar, Fig and Maple, um, the Piano Man Jazz Club and Depot 48. But uh, there's something that makes Sidecar stand a little apart from the others. The reason is the man behind it, Mr. Yangdrup Lama, a bartender who made his way to owning one of the country's best bars. And he's such a humble man too. I've known him for a couple of years since we bonded over our common roots and by the end of the evening, we were swapping recipes. Here's what HD Brunch columnist V. Sangvi has to say about bartenders in the country. Okay, here's a question for you. When you go out to a bar or even a restaurant, do you notice the bartender? My guess is you do because he's visible. You can see him from where you're sitting. You can see him make your drink. You can see him giving it to the waiter to bring over. Or if you're sitting at the bar counter, then of course you know who he is. Okay, now a second question. Do you actually notice a chef when you go into a restaurant? My guess is not usually because the chef is in the kitchen. He doesn't often come out. You never see him. You're aware maybe that there must be a chef making your food, but you don't know who he is. You've never seen him. So here's the big one after those two questions. Why do people who write about food, people like myself perhaps, who write about restaurants, who write about the F&B business, focus so much on chefs? Why do we create this cult of celebrity chefs? And why do we focus so little on bartenders? What bartenders are doing is as honorable, requires as much skill, brings as much joy to people, and it's something that's visible to guests where chefs really only visible to people who write about them. It's something I've been asking myself over the last two years, ever since I started judging the world-class cocktail competition, because in my experience, bartenders are the new stars. They have tremendous ingenuity, and the skill that they display is a global skill. If you make a butter chicken, there's probably limited chances for a job in New York. If you make a good martini, 
you will be hired anywhere in the world. So here's the point I'm making. I think bartenders are the new stars. I think we make a huge mistake by ignoring them. So the next time you go to a restaurant, look at the bartender, ask his name, talk to him. It'll make him feel good. And you will know something about who made the drink you're having. It's that time of the year when the rent goes up and you begin to wonder why you haven't found a larger space yet. And then you realize that it's because the process of house hunting gets to you. The biggest hurdle I faced in Mumbai was trying to find a place that's not crumbling down or isn't a shared room. Now that I'm looking at Delhi, the problems are new. Safety, location, the permission to keep a dog, sunlight and something not in a shady gully are my priorities. Um, which would explain why I've just been scrolling through uh, groups on Facebook instead of trying to find a broker. I did get in touch with a few, but uh, there are no sunlit rooms in Delhi that would fit my budget, it seems. Unless I let go of the South Delhi ease as it allows access to almost all of Delhi NCR. Well, that's my bit. Listen on as HG branch columnist Rehana Munir shares her experience. While watching that show Indian Matchmaking on Netflix, I kept thinking of the house hunting equivalent, uh, something like Indian house hunting, where the central character would have been a broker. Um, We all love to hate them, mainly because we need them with something close to desperation. In a city like Mumbai, brokers are reviled for talking up one-room tenements as studio apartments and crumbling garages as charming villas. We've all been there. Um, You know, you can actually see reality through the broker filter when you're doing an apartment walkthrough. Um, Any criticism you may throw, uh, from absent storage to maybe an ugly partition, uh, it instantly turns into a glowing tribute to the space that we're all seeing together. Um, In the pandemic era, house hunting has taken on an even more ominous character. Just to get a housing society to approve a flat viewing is a production, adding another layer of difficulty to an already stressful exercise. Um, I've been going through this, you know, it's been a short period of apartment hunting, shuttling between a few brokers, because everyone knows you can't just have one, right? Um, It's equal parts funny and sad, this whole ritual of meeting a broker at the building gate. Uh, Despite all your efforts to stay calm through this process, your heart is invariably beating fast when the door to the flat opens. Then there's the matter of looking at everything from square footage to floor tiles, any indication of a leaking wall or prying neighbor. And, you know, so many such important indicators, all in the space of a few crucial minutes. Uh, I end up imagining my life in each of the flats that I enter, sometimes cramped up in a musty little pigeonhole and in those rare moments luxuriating in a sea-facing dream home. Um, This week's column looks at some of the trials of uh, house hunting from ground zero. Hope it's fun to read and that you're enjoying an extended lease in a comfortable home. Bye. He's one of the most versatile voices I've heard and he's also one of the good guys in the scene. Ever helpful and always humble. I'm talking about Delhi musician Praptoj Singh, whose single You Belong To Me is just what you need on a lazy Sunday afternoon. And so we got him to sing a version of it for you. Hope you enjoy it. Hi, my name is Praptoj Singh and I'm going to be playing one of my own songs called You Belong With Me. You belong with me is like a bedtime wish, an affirmation to self and a message that you wish you could convey to the person you're secretly in love with. Hope you guys like it. Mm-hmm. 
the other end of the phone While you're falling asleep And I'm singing on my own You try to hide some feelings You try to make them go away So you try to sleep on this tonight But you know they're here to stay Flies in your stomach will wake you in the morning and they'll bring you back to me. So don't fight the feeling, cause in time you'll fall in love and someday you will believe that I was made for loving you and you belong with me. You get real quiet Afraid to catch these feelings But deep down I know you're tired I could never hurt you And even if I really tried You know I'd strive to deserve you Every second of my life But the butterflies in your stomach Will wake you in the morning Sunday brunch. Thank you. The weekend is when you take a break from a hectic week, whether it's work from home or work from work. It's also a day to develop perspective on things by not just consuming news, but also analyzing it by listening to different points of views and figuring out what you feel about it. We hope we've been able to do just that with today's HD Brunch podcast. Feel free to give us feedback and suggestions on HD Smartcast on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or DM us directly at HD Brunch on Instagram and Twitter. To listen to more podcasts, log on to hdsmartcast.com or suno nay nazariye se. I will see you back here next weekend with another dose of entertainment that keeps things real. Till then, happy brunching guys. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.